Welcome to another fantastic, bombastic, Bitcoin just crashed it. Congrats on the wedding to my friend Thurston Nashtick. And my inability to jump has me flipping out like gymnastics episode of the re Oh, and it's not the Reclassico podcast. It's the Redraftico podcast. This is our 2022 NBA draft preview. And I am your host, Alex Young, trying to record this during lunch. And we'll see how this goes. If it is a hopefully not too long a lunch, but let, let's get into it. So I wanted to put some thoughts out there because the NBA draft is. I, I realized it this year, but the NBA draft is my favorite sporting event of the year. And I know that sounds super lame, but for me, it's almost become a borderline holiday in my own head, if that makes sense. <laughs> the reason, and I, I try to diagnose this a little bit and analyze a little bit, but the reason I like it so much is because it's the marriage between college basketball and the NBA. So I grew up in Texas. I was a San Antonio Spurs fan, but then I moved. So I was a big NBA fan, but then I moved to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where people eat, breathe college basketball. And the NBA draft is almost like a handshake of, hey, here's you're watching these college basketball players maybe come up through Duke or through UNC. And there, it's always this really fun game of understanding, like, where are these people going to go? Are they going to make in the pros? Like, sure, they look kind of weird. Or sure, they have their own context in college where maybe they're the man. How do they fit as a role player at the next level? And it's funny because it, it's... I, I think one thing, another thing I really like about it is there are a lot of... every Every player's situation is a bit different, and it's... Like, we try not to compare apples to oranges, but in this exercise, we're comparing apples to oranges to grapes. We're comparing, like, a seven-foot big man from Lithuania to a six-foot guard who's playing at Carolina. And so I always think that's that's really interesting. Like, which which one should you value more? It's very hit or miss, but... It, and I think the last thing that I really love about it is it's a time of hope. My favorite team, the San Antonio Spurs, they're currently in what is negatively described as the treadmill of mediocrity. They're not good enough to make the playoffs or, or win a championship. And they're also not bad enough to get the, the number one pick. But they make do with what they have. They have a really good drafting track record and in this year especially they have the best draft pick that they've ever had since I became a fan uh, best draft pick they've had this century it's only the number nine pick and that goes to show the longevity of their franchise but it's something that I'm, I'm really excited for what they're going to do with it they don't just have the number nine pick they have the nine twenty twenty five I'm not going to talk too much about the Spurs on this podcast. This is more me consolidating my thoughts on who the top draft prospects are, who are the people that I've watched that I have an opinion of, and 
really a lot of this is planting my flag for the record on who I think is going to be a star at the next level, who are some people I am higher on than in consensus. And yeah, so that's one reason I love the draft. I love the draft so much that <laughs> here's a here's a silly story. I was dating someone a couple years ago and I told him like three weeks in advance, like, hey, this is gonna really sound stupid, but this random Thursday in June, I want to reserve that so that I can watch the NBA draft. And they said, Alex, why do you feel the need to reserve it? Like, we never hang out on Thursday. Why Why is it such a big deal? Like, that's that's totally okay. You have your little nerd TV show on the draft. And I was like, all right, I just want to know that I'm slotting this day as a personal day. This is my PTO day, I guess. But um, <laughs> And sure enough... Uh, that Thursday came, and right as the draft was about to start, uh, something popped up, and I needed to be somewhere else, and I couldn't watch the draft, or at least at least the beginning of it. And look, I'm, I sound like a, a GD dweeb now, but <laughs> I was really happy to be supportive, and and I never brought it up, but uh, <laughs> like I kind of remembered, and. Thus, you're probably not surprised that the guy who cares too much about the NBA draft and his who has like this weird podcast is currently single. So, um, anyways, this Thursday I will be holed up <laughs> in my apartment. We might have uh, some refreshments, might have some food or burgers, and I'll be watching the draft. So it's super exciting. So let's let's jump into the actual draft and, and analysis. Um, I guess I, I should explain maybe people I've liked in the past, and I might give you a little context for who are the types of players I like and, and why I maybe like these people. I'm going to describe maybe my biggest hits or people that I've staked my flag on that I really worked out, and I'm also going to explain my biggest misses. And You'll see there are a couple more misses and hits. And My biggest hits, I can't remember a ton off the top of my head as I have been in the flag planting business for too long. But I will say two years ago, I really did like Anthony Edwards as the top pick in 2019. And last year, I also planted my flag on Jalen Green. And Jalen Green like didn't start so hot, and he was really, he's been really popping off later in the season. And I, my philosophy is like, hey, these guys are super athletic. They're going to be stars in the league. So that's not the the most in-depth analysis, but the, those guys had question marks, and it's cool that they're really popping off. Um, another guy I planted my flag on last year was Alperen Shengun. I thought he was too productive in Turkey to, to fail in the NBA, and I thought he could really be a stud. And Jerry's still out, but let's he showed really promising flashes last year. I also believe that drafting James Wiseman at number two in 2019 was a big mistake. I felt that at the time. I, I don't think, and we'll, I'll contradict myself later in the podcast, but I, I don't think drafting like guys who just run and dunk and set screens and stuff are, isn't a great, the best use of a number two pick, especially if 
they're not going to be creating offense for you. So we'll see how that goes. He's he's mostly been hurt in the most part. Um, but those are my quote-unquote hits. I guess it's not the most impressive track record, but let's. <laughs> I remember my misses more cl- most clearly. Uh, number one, I I think this was 2019 or, or 2018. The the Zion Duke year. I was a big Cam Reddish believer. I I knew something wasn't totally right, but I he was just super talented, and I'm not sure he. And he, he's shown flashes in the pro. I don't think he's going to be a star. Um, I also said I wouldn't touch players like Trey Young or LaMelo Ball with a 10-foot pole. And to my chagrin, or maybe to the a lot of people's happiness, like there's stars in the league. And so that's that's a big whoops on my end. And but maybe my biggest miss was I really believed in Marvin Bagley the third from Duke, who went second overall in uh, a couple years ago, and went one pick before NBA superstar Luka Doncic. I I thought he was neck and neck with Luka in a way because he was just this athletic monster, um, but unfortunately it just hasn't really panned out and it's looking like a bust. So. But let's let's take things off to to this year. So how this podcast is going to go is I'm going to go through the the top five prospects in the drafts. Just give uh, generally what I've heard from like other podcasts, what I've seen watching, and my overall impressions. And I'm gonna give my top five prospects. Then. Because I am a Duke fan and, and because I watched a ton of Duke this year and I'm probably the most informed on Duke of any of these, I'm going to go through the top five Duke prospects who've, who've gone pro and explain my thoughts there. And then maybe I'll at the end I'll, I'll throw a little bit about what I want the Spurs to do. So let, let's jump into it. My number one prospect, I, I think he's going to go number two. But this is the number one guy I am planting my flag on so so much that you'll see in the cover art for this podcast. I am planting my flag on this guy. And the guy I'm planting my flag on is Chet Holmgren, this 7-foot, 190-pound center from Gonzaga. He's super tall, super skinny. And if I was to explain like maybe his assets or, or why he's going to be a good player... His really elite skill is rim protection. He has incredible defensive off instincts. He's one of the greatest weak side shot blockers you'll you'll ever see. And what's crazy is for a man his size, he has offensive perimeter skills to pair with that. So he has these great shot blocking instincts. He whenever he catches a ball near the rim. It's an instant dunk. Offensively, he's like if Taco Fall had like a jump shot, and if Taco Fall like actually worked in the NBA, um, offensively. But he also has a, like a really good three point shot, a decent handle, and really nice passing instincts. And he's a crazy tough, competitive guy, even though he's relatively skinny for for his size. And his perimeter skills seem pretty average for a guard, but 
at his size, those skills are almost unprecedented. Those skills are almost unprecedented. So I think if you watch Gonzaga tape and it's it's not his highlights, it's the simple basketball maneuvers that he's doing that are just jaw dropping. You watch him grab a rebound and then leading a fast break and you're seeing this alien, this guy who's like seven three, it looks like, uh leading the ball up the court or and it's it's unlike anything you've seen. And there isn't a good NBA comp for Shet Holmgren. There isn't really a someone to compare him to, but that's all right. He's something new, and I think he's going to be a star. People worry he's too skinny and won't fill out. I'm not as worried about that. My only worry is that people of that size really don't have a great injury histories, but he doesn't have any injuries in his past, which so it's a good start. It's ultimately going to come down to what he can bring offensively. I have no doubt he's going to be a great defensive player, but if you're drafting him number one overall, you're hoping he can be a franchise player. And at Gonzaga, his his role was really minimized as almost this garbage man of cleanup dunks and, and threes because he was almost the fourth option a lot of times. And he really excelled in that. Like, his efficiency numbers went through the roof. So, But you don't know what it's going to look like with, if he's a primary creator. And also if he's playing against, like, real NBA guys who are just super fast and super strong. So it's it's definitely risky, and, and there's definitely uh, a floor that might be a little scary. But I, I think he should go number one. So that brings us to my second best prospect and the guy who's probably got to go oh first overall. The second prospect we have is Jabari Smith Jr., 6'10", 220-pound wing from Auburn. Jabari is... I haven't watched him nearly as much as Chet, but Jabari is the best shooter in the draft and has the frame to rise up over any defender. If you watch his tapes, if you watch his highlights, he has that Kevin Durant, that Chris Middleton ability to rise up, get shot off wherever, and it, it just goes in. And... I think he's the safest pick of the draft, and he's likely going to be a, a 20-point-per-game scorer at least. And he checks a lot of boxes. He's decently athletic and can be an asset on defense. His biggest knock is that at Auburn, he wasn't really asked to create, and he doesn't really dribble or create off the bounce. So you worry about his upside as a, a primary scoring threat, like, you worry about, can he be a number one on a good team? Is he Jason Tatum? Is he Jalen Brown? Or is he, like, Richard Lewis 2.0? So, I I don't like picking him first because I just think it's a little safe. And you're really trying to superstar hunt and at the very top of the draft. So, that's why I think you go for Chet's ceiling, even though... Jabari is maybe has possibly the highest floor of anyone in, in this draft class. So I, there's a lot of space between Kevin Durant and Chris Milton. And if Jabari's in between, if Jabari's a better version of Chris Milton, I think that's 
that's a win at number two. But I we'll see. Like some people think he's gonna be a star, and he has an awesome work ethic. So yeah. Um, moving on to the number three prospect, and probably the guy I I watch the most of any of these pe- players. Number three prospect is Paolo Bancaro from Duke. He is 6'10", 250 pounds. He's built like a tank, but he also has a lot of finesse. He has a crazy deep isolated scoring bag, as as the kids would say. A lot of polished dribble isolation moves. He can create off the bounce, can create off the post. And, And one thing I really liked about him that really stood out was he's a really good passer, really good interior passer. He's Spent a lot of time next to this seven-foot center, Mark Williams, and really made it work because he was such a good interior passer or two. That's all the nice stuff I can say about Paolo. I am probably the biggest Paolo hater you're going to hear in this draft cycle. Um He's my main issue with him. My main issue with him is that I don't think he can do what he does efficiently enough to be a franchise scorer. He was on a ridiculously loaded, so a little bit of context. He was the first option on a ridiculously loaded Duke team last year. He had the car keys to do almost whatever he wanted on offense, as much as anyone else in that crowded. Uh, starting five could and as a Duke fan I I wonder I I think the results were a little could have been better like he had a lot sure he was he always put up a, a ton of points but he had a lot of box scores where he would score 23 points on 21 shots and he was generally shooting in the one point per shot range like that was his efficiency. Like the efficiency could have been a little better, in my opinion. And I think part of that is like shot selection. Uh, a lot. He's doing a lot of ISO moves, and I'm I'm not sure if that's going to be great for long term for a for an NBA offense. Like I'm not sure he's going to be able to do it good enough to carry an NBA offense. Who knows? Like. In the playoffs, he could be a, a mismatch, a nightmare. He's too strong for smaller defenders, too quick for bigger defenders. Um, he, he could be a real problem and eliminate some defenders from playoff series, is for sure. So it's it's a great weapon to have, but I just don't see him. A, I don't see him as a as a number one scoring option. B and this is where I think the case for Paolo kind of falls apart, is defensively left a lot to be desired. He has the body type, being 6'10", 250. He has the body type to be a really awesome small ball center. Like if you, theoretically, if you had him as your five and he was this creator and provided like a little bit of shooting, like that would be like, Draymond Green on steroids. It'd be it could be incredible, but I don't think he can really hold up defensively. He a he really struggled to rebound for his size, 
and B, he didn't really show much in the way of, of rim protection. And if you watch his tape, there are also a lot of times where he just doesn't bother to rotate and, and contest a shot. It's almost like he's doing those LeBron level, like resting on defense so that he can carry the load offensively. So maybe I mean, maybe he, he picks up and he's a monster when he's no longer the number one option getting double teamed all the time. But I just, I think either he could be an amazing small ball center or he could be this franchise option. And I just don't think he does either of those, which I think kind of defeats the, the purpose of drafting him. So I, I think he's going to be a productive player for sure. I think he's the next Tobias Harris, which is still pretty good value, but I don't think he's going to be starter the way a lot of people do. But I don't know. There's there's a lot of really smart people I know, people whose opinions I value who have Paolo as a number one prospect. So you never know. I think it's still, I think I like his fit in Houston potentially, but but we'll see. Hey, let's jump to the the fourth best prospect in the draft. And, and some guy, actually a guy I might rank ahead of Apollo at number three. And that is the uber-explosive Jaden Ivey, a 6'4", 200-pound guard out of Purdue. The main selling point on, on Jaden Ivey is athleticism and incredible burst. He... Jaden Ivey led the nation this year, and holy crap, that man just flew through the air and yammed on others' (laughs) athletic plays. Like, he led the nation in Twitter clips, in viral Twitter clips, if if that makes sense. And I can't say I've watched a ton of Purdue or Jaden Ivey. I watched about 30 minutes of him play against against Texas, a little bit against St. Peter's in the tournament. And he, he definitely has that burst. I also think that in college, he was not optimized at all. It took me approximately five minutes of watching Purdue to realize he was on the wrong team. And the reason he's on the wrong team is, if, if you watch Purdue, they have this very gimmicky offense. And that gimmicky offense is built around a 7'4", 300-pound guy named Zach Eady. And what they do, what Purdue does is they, they kind of slow it down, they throw it to the big guy and have him post up and either dunk or or like get fouled. And it's against Texas, this giant guy, Zach Eady, almost fouled everyone out. But the reason it's, it's not the right team for Jay Nivey is because it's it's a slow offense. Like, Jay Nivey is a sports car that should be running up and down the floor. And he didn't really get the option to do that because he had these giant centers in the lane, clogging the lane. So Purdue's offense, because of how gimmicky Purdue's offense is, I wasn't overly surprised after the fact that they lost to St. Peter's because they're dependent on this 7-4 guy who's not super skilled. Um, but it, it's kind of like if if the Dallas Mavericks built their offense around Boban Marjanovic rather than Luka Doncic. So I think I say all this because I, I think Jaden, while yes, he doesn't read the floor amazingly well from what I've heard, 
Um, he's going to be a better pro than he is a college player because he's going to be in some pace and space offense and really light it up. So it's an, it's, I think he's going to be a star. Well, maybe not a star, but I think he's, he's really going to be awesome at the next level. What makes Jay Ivey probably really interesting or, or this number pick, I, I've been talking about the prospects, but I haven't really been talking about the picks. The fourth pick in the draft goes to the Sacramento Kings. And this is like the biggest predicament in the draft. Let me explain. So Sacramento has the league's longest playoff drought, which they have a lot of pressure to break. They really need a win-now kind of player. They also have a very speedy point guard in De'Aaron Fox that they've built their franchise around. So De'Aaron Fox is a very much a Jaden Ivey type, or Jaden Ivey is very much a De'Aaron Fox type. So they already kind of have that player on the roster. So it's unclear how Jaden Ivey fits with all that. Because they have a win-now mandate, the Kings could go for a more NBA-ready guy in Keegan Murray out of Iowa, who doesn't have nearly as much upside and might be a slight reach at the number four overall pick. Or if if they really wanted to swing for the fences and go superstar hunting, they could go for someone like Shaden Sharp, who's this high school guy. We'll get into him in a second. But he's really raw, really inexperienced, and it probably isn't going to help the Kings next year. Probably isn't going to be a, a plus for the Kings, even if he is potentially the best prospect on the board. So the Kings are, are really mired in a, a difficult position where they could get the win-now guy, but it would be a bit of a reach. They could get the best prospect in Jay Ivey, or they could get the upside guy. But if the if the Kings botch this pick, they're, they're, it's just going to be another, for lack of a better word, kick in the nuts to a franchise that hasn't made the playoffs in almost 20 years. So... They have the league's longest playoff drought. So they're a very interesting case. Um, I've, I really like their GM, Monty McNair. I, I think he's a really smart guy, and I'm sure he's going to make a great pick, but it's an unenviable position. So let's, let's go to... And the reason it, one reason it's unenviable is because one of the guys on their board is my fifth best prospect, Shaden Sharp. I honestly don't know much about Shaden Sharp. It, it's mostly hearsay. Shaden is a complete mystery box, and that's almost by design. He could be the best player in this draft. So Shaden Sharp, uh, maybe some stats on him. He's a 6'6", 200-pound athletic wing who can really shoot. Um, his story is he graduated high school early and then enrolled at Kentucky. So he, I think he joined Kentucky like around October, right after the season had started. And rather than playing for Kentucky, he he scrimmaged with with the team all all season during practice. But he he never was quite quote unquote ready to play in actual games for Kentucky. And 
it was almost a, a shady situation, to say the least, in that uh, <laughs> he kept saying, like, hey, he's going to sit out this year, but he's going to play for Kentucky next year. He kept telling Kentucky over and over that, oh, no, he's going to play next year. He's going to play next year. And then he became eligible for the draft, and plans changed, and he never ended up playing for Kentucky. And so a lot of Kentucky fans are upset about this. It It's a little bit of a shady situation. But now this guy who's uber-athletic, who was the number one prospect in the draft before in his age group before reclassifying to this draft class, now he's available, but he hasn't played any college ball, so it's really hard to evaluate him. Like I was saying earlier, the draft is about analyzing and comparing apples to oranges to grapes. Well, Shaden Sharp might be this really weird, <laughs> underdeveloped grapefruit that could be the best player in the draft, could be the 20th best player in the draft. So, I think that particular mystery box is worth a top five pick. I wonder if he should go even number three overall. But then again, I don't have good information. I don't get to see his workouts. I could look up his, I haven't checked out his interviews yet, but I really don't have a good read on this. So you could tell me he should go 12 and, and I might believe you, but I think it's worth the swing at this point in the draft. Yeah. But he's also maybe the prospect that gets you fired. So it's a really tough dilemma and he's one of the toughest guys to, to deal with, to evaluate in the past couple of years. So anyway, that is the top of the NBA draft, the top five prospects, the the guys I think really matter. There there are a lot of other great names out there like Keegan Murray, Dyson Daniels, Benedict Matherin, just to name a few. I don't have good intel on them. I don't have a good read on them. So I'm going to let ESPN and The Athletic handle those guys. But I, I want to go in, and there's, there's four more Duke prospects that I feel – that I watched a ton, that I have thoughts on, that I, I, I want to lay to wax, per se. And the first other Duke prospect I'll start with is Mark Williams. Mark Williams is these mammoth, seven-foot, springy, athletic, big man from Duke. He's he At the combine, he measured seven foot two inches with shoes. He's 242 pounds. A nine foot nine standing reach, so you can almost touch the rim standing flat on the ground. And he has a seven foot six wingspan. At the comp and and the kicker is <laughs> at the combine he measured at five point four percent body fat, which is utterly ridiculous and, and probably inaccurate and probably a little bit of an estimation. But even if he was at like 8% body fat or 10% body fat, I think that's ridiculously low for a, a person his size, 242 pounds. So he's he's this big, hulking, shot-blocking center that dunked everything. And in my opinion, Mark Williams was Duke's MVP last year. He dunked everything, blocked everything, and he cleaned up a lot of Duke's defensive mistakes as a help defender. He is surely going to be a rotation big for 8 to 10 years, at least. And I think he's one of the best 
athletes in this draft. I think he's one of the, like in a vacuum, he's one of the best players in this draft. The only thing is, the case against him is his position and his player archetype. Like I said, you don't want to draft run and dunk centers second overall. And we're seeing in the draft that these big men who, these non shooting big men tend to slide further and further down the draft year by year. So last year, Alperen Shingun, my boy, was the second big man drafted overall, and he wasn't picked until 16th, despite being possibly the second best at his position. In a way, these run and dunk centers have become running the running. If you follow the NFL draft, NFL teams stopped drafting running backs early because they were very dime a dozen in a way. The Mark Williams pick is also interesting because there is a team that could really use a Mark Williams type, and that team is the Charlotte Hornets, who own the 13th and 15th picks. And it's so glaringly obvious that the Charlotte Hornets really need a center. And so that's why on most mock drafts you see, they're going to be slotted to take Mark Williams either at 13 or 15, or maybe someone like Jalen Durant. I'm going to, I, I already burned one of my flags on Chet Holmgren, but I have another flag right here in my back pocket that I'm going to plant right now and say that Mark Williams is going to be one of the five to six guys that matter in this draft. I think number 13 is honestly too low for him. I think he has the, some untapped offensive upside. Like he has a little bit of a jumper, a little bit of a jump hook, and sure, he didn't really use it. It was only something he really flashed for the scouts, but I really think he can be an impactive, impactful two-way guy, and he's worth taking with a lottery pick. So I I honestly want him for the Spurs, and if he fell to the Spurs at 20 somehow, I would absolutely lose it and be overjoyed. So that's my Mark Williams love fest. Three more Duke prospects, and we'll go a little quicker on these. Next up is AJ Griffin. So AJ Griffin is this six foot six, two hundred twenty-two pound, small forward, kind of a wing. And what you need to know about him is he's this really athletic dude that has a a tough injury history. Like he missed two years in high school. He missed part of this Duke season with. Uh, with some knee injury. I'm not quite sure what was happening. But if you watched him play, he had a historically good shooting performance. Like he was, he shot almost, I think, 45% from three on high volume. He has a weird little stance, but it's a high arcing shot and it, and it went in most of the time. So he had incredible shooting season. I think he projects to be a really good 3 and D guard if he can stay healthy. Um, some downsides with him is that analyses I've seen say that he lost his athletic burst as the season went on, and he wasn't able to get separation from defenders while driving to the lane. And I can verify that. If you watch him drive to the lane, it does look awkward. It looks like he's galloping 
into the paint. I don't know what's up with that, and every one of his drives look really hard. But that said, I I got to see him in person when he was healthy against Virginia Tech, and he was awesome, and he was flying around the court, and I think he has the tools to be really awesome. My only concern is that he is a bit feast or famine in a way. Um, like he would have games where he would have 27 points. He had games where he would shoot one for seven and have two points and completely disappear. And I don't know if that's because he was the fourth option a lot of the time at Duke, but it would happen a lot of the times. And so a bit feast or famine, a bit, bit Jeff Greeny, but um, we'll see what happens. I, I'm a big believer in him. I think he's going to be awesome. If he fell to Spurs at nine and the Spurs took him, I would be overjoyed. So, I I would be overjoyed on a lot of these Duke guys. I'm a little, I'm a little biased in that respect for sure. So, two more Duke prospects. Next up is Wendell Moore. He is a six-five junior. It's a 213-pound guard who just finished his junior year at Duke. Because of his age, he is going to slide to the late first, early second round. I wasn't too impressed in Wendell Moore his first two years at Duke. I thought he underwhelmed. He he wasn't last year's especially I thought he, he kind of regressed. He didn't wasn't ready to be the leader on, on Duke. But he really came into <laughs> he really came into Duke this year as as a changed man. He came in jacked. He he was in incredible shape. And man, he just kicked ass doing a little bit of everything. And so he had a nice shooting season, showed some chops as a, a creator, and was really awesome defensively. And I think he's going to be a little undervalued. I don't think the stats are going to do him justice because on this very loaded team, there are a lot of times where it felt like he was the fifth option of all the five guys on the court. And... I don't know if that was fair, but this Duke team was kind of weird and, and really talented and had a lot of primary ball creators. So I think he made the best of it uh, to be a, a glue guy, and he always deserves to be on the court because he always added value. So I think he's going to be a good rotation player. And I'm already mad that the Warriors are going to draft him 28th. And I'm upset because I don't want the Warriors to get another great player. I don't think he's going to be a great player, but I think he's going to be a stud, and so I'm excited for him. Um, I would be happy late first or, or early second. I think he's, he's one of those guys worth taking. Sorry, a little bit of water. And my last Duke prospect I'm going to talk about is Trevor Keels. Trevor Keels is a really fun watch at Duke. He, so he has a second round grade, so he's probably going to go in the second round if he gets drafted. 6'5", 222 pounds. Set the Duke bench press record, I believe, at least for freshmen. So he's 18 year, years old. I love Trevor Keels. He, he really balled out in the season opener against Kentucky where everyone was saying, oh my goodness, is Trevor Keels a lottery pick? <laughs> and 
he's really built like a football player. Like every, it was almost like Duke bingo, Duke announcer bingo. It's like the Duke announcer had to say like, oh man, this guy should be playing linebacker on Sundays. Like, but he's really kind of, it's some, it's not something you, you generally see on the basketball court. And I think it's awesome. He's in many ways, he was like the college basketball version of of Marcus Smart like a, a poor man's Marcus Smart like Marcus Smart was actually a star in college at Oklahoma State but like Trevor Keels just does a lot of stuff that like he doesn't have an elite skill but he is he probably led Duke with a lot of threes that were like no no yes like no don't take that away to win in so he had a lot of spunk and he he had a shift as Duke's de facto point guard because Duke didn't really have a point guard this year, and he does a little bit of anything, of everything. But I think his number one trait and one reason he's worth taking a flyer on is he's really gritty and kind of. <laughs> you draft Trevor Keels because he's a dog, like he he is a warrior. He's gives you like some of that kick-ass energy and even though his his shot really needs to improve like i think he really should have gone back to school and just to prove to scouts that hey my shot's all right and he'd go in the first round next year but anyway he's going pro he's a very much like a bet on himself kind of guy and he's just awesome really shows up in big games i can't say he's gonna make it in the pros but i think you gotta bring him into camp because he's he's awesome and i I think he could pan out to be at least a rotation player and maybe even a starter so i love trevor keels i wish he was still at duke but i'm wishing him the best of luck so that brings us those are all my (laughs) prospect takes i've planted my flag on Chet Holmgren and Mark Williams, and I also would like to gently, like half plant my flag on AJ Griffin and Wendell Moore. Um, but let's talk about the Spurs real quick. So, Spurs are my favorite team. They're not used to being in the lottery, although this is their third year there. And they have the ninth, the twentieth, and twenty-fifth picks in the draft. And as a Spurs fan, I'm super excited because they've routinely gotten value out of a lot of these picks. So they picked DeJounte Murray, 29th. <coughs> the the legendary one is, I think they picked Manu Ginobili, 58th, where he was one of the last guys in the draft. They picked Kawhi Leonard, 15th. Tony Parker, like 28th. Like They've gotten a lot of value in these late first rounders. And... Of course, we remember a lot of the hits. We don't remember a lot of the misses. Like, they drafted Luka Samanich, 19th, and that was a total bust. Livio John Charles, 29th. That dude never played for them. Lonnie Walker at 18 is kind of tough, even though he's shown flashes, I guess. Um, but, I don't know. You j- What's exciting about the Spurs is you feel... Like, if they pick someone that it's it's justified, like, you trust them. So that's a luxury that 
I'm very happy to have as a Spurs fan. And there, there's there's not a lot of like rumors about the Spurs, but there are just kind of like suggestions from analysts or beliefs. Like if I were running the Spurs, this is what I would consider. And the thing they would consider is combining some of these picks to move up in the draft. So maybe package the 20th and 25th pick and go for like the 15th pick or something. I don't quite know what the market value is for those. Um, so so we'll see. I, and generally, it's it's really hard to draft, to move up in the top 10. Like, I think it would be really hard for them to get in the top five or top four to get a Jade and Ivy type if, if that's what they wanted. Um, just because those top teams aren't, aren't going to give up those picks. But the the number one thing to monitor for the Spurs is they have a center, Jakob Pertl. And I have an economics background. I'm going to explain this in a very supply and demand kind of way. But you know how earlier I was talking about how the Charlotte Hornets really badly need a center? Well, the Spurs have a center named Jakob Pertle, who's this uh, awesome, kind of like no-nonsense defensive center, knows how to play, and is reliable. So he is a very known commodity, and a lot of teams, he would stand to benefit a team like Charlotte that has no center. And so I think one of the biggest subplots is the Charlotte Hornets are very obviously need to draft a a center at 13 or 15. I wonder if one team that's ahead of them, like maybe OKC with the 12th pick or, or the Spurs with the ninth pick, what if they hold one of those centers hostage? Or what if they, like, what if they say, Hey, we're going to pick this guy unless you give us an asset to move up. And, all in all, I think there's a there's a real chance the Spurs trade Jakob Pertl on draft night to Charlotte for some goodies, for some draft picks, or a lot of maybe PJ Washington or something like. So I, I think that's something to really monitor. And if it doesn't happen, forget about it. But if it did happen, you heard it here first. So <laughs> apologies for the cough. Um, so I'm I'm very excited about the Spurs draft. I think they have a lot. They have the most tools in the draft. Then usually they they just stand pat, and I, I think there's there might actually be a move. Um, I hope they don't pick Usman Yang for whatever reason. He's this lanky French kid who's really raw offensively, but has star potential, I guess. People mock him to the Spurs just because... People predict the Spurs might take him because he's an international guy, and that makes sense, I guess. But I don't know. It feels like anything is possible for this ninth pick. So uh, anyways, those are my thoughts. Again, I'm firmly playing my flag on Chet Holmgren and Mark Williams, gently placing my flag on AJ Griffin and Wendell Moore, and I am shorting Paolo Bancaro's superstar potential. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been the first ever edition of the Redraft to Code podcast. We'll see how this goes and how poorly this ages, but I hope you have a great rest of your week.